1: Hi and welcome to Theology Gals. I am Colleen and Angela is also here. And um, Ashley's still in, recovering from having the baby, so she'll be back with us sometime in the in the future, but she's having fun with the uh, just focusing on baby for a time. So I think Angela in the in the history of this show, I don't think we have had in, in combination with the group and with uh, emails, so many people ask about the same exact book. And I think it was, I, I was kind of ignorant. Sometimes I just really don't pay attention to what's going on in kind of normal uh, evangelical world. Yeah. And so I, it was. I think it was about three weeks ago and somebody messaged me and said, do you know anything about this book, Girl? wash your face. And she said that she seems a bit like, her name's Rachel Hollis, She seems a bit like Jen Hatmaker, but I have all these friends that are reading the book and I'm really skeptical. It's not necessarily theologically discerning friends. And I want to know if anyone's written a review out there. And so you and I started kind of looking into the author and some of the stuff that she was saying. This week, uh, what the one that y- I think you originally screenshotted it, but I put it on Twitter where she said, it doesn't matter, you know, what religion you are or who you worship, <laughs> you know, uh, it doesn't matter,
0: right? And the very worst part about it is that she said that directly after she said, This is the day that the Lord has made. Exactly. Oh, my. (laughs) The irony there of saying this is the day the Lord has made and then immediately following with it doesn't matter who you worship. Oh, my. And, you know, we had a a brief little conversation about that particular post of hers out on on Twitter where we like to have our fun. And, um, you know, one of the things that I said about it is, that this is exactly the kind of cotton candy theology that's marketed to Christian women. And in reality, it is deadly. I mean, this is, this is the kind of theology that if, if you really believe it doesn't matter who you worship, you, you, that, that's a deadly theology right there. That is, that is going to keep you from knowing the one true God and knowing that it matters that he is the one that you should be worshiping
1: right we worship the creator of the universe not just who whoever we choose to and it always brings me back to that Michael Horton quote where he talks about you know people saying we don't need theology we just need to all love Jesus and he says but who is Jesus and why do you love him and we we worship God because of what he has done for us be because he is God because of of the things that were told about him and his word. And I think it, it really comes back to this very me centered sort of thing. It's all about me and what I want to do. As long as I'm happy, it doesn't, doesn't matter who I'm worshiping. I mean, it's okay if it's the God of Mormonism or uh, the God of Islam, you know, as as long as you're worshiping and, and the thing is, it's portrayed like I'm looking outside of myself, but it, that's not really what's happening. It's still, it's really all about me and not about God and even a misunderstanding of worship.
0: Right. It's definitely a misunderstanding of worship, what worship is, who we're to be worshiping. Um, It's funny. I haven't, of course, we haven't read her book. We've gotten actually a lot of um, questions about the book. What's it about? Is it Christian? Um, is it theologically sound? And we've done a little bit of looking um, into the kinds of things that Rachel might be teaching. She is a motivational speaker who's at a lot of conferences speaking to women, and uh, and a lot of times these are sort of um, marketed to Christian women, and. A lot a lot of what I've seen um, of the things that I've looked at are about achieving your dreams um, no one can stop you from your dreams. Um, it is very much about whatever dream you have you can achieve it it's it's definitely all about your your ability to be and do whatever you want and so it really sort of glorifies. What I want, what my dreams are, what I want to achieve as being my chief end, and of course, we know from from our catechism, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That it takes me right back to that first quote we were talking about. <laughs> Does it matter who I worship? Absolutely, that is the question.
1: Right, and in, in fact, since since we just finished in the Theology Gals Bible study, we have a Tuesday night. Uh, online Bible study, and we just finished the book of Hosea. If if you're wondering if it matters who you who you worship, go read Hosea <laughs> and 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 listen, right. to, listen to the harsh words when when God's people are not worshiping Him, right? <laughs> and they're off worshiping whoever they want. And you know, it's really all... In a way, it fits in more to the motivational speaking category. It's you can achieve your own destiny. Mm,
0: absolutely, yes. and
1: um, like I, I always say, like Joel Osteen is is like Tony Robbins. If you don't know who ton- Tony Robbins is, he's a yeah. well-known motivational speaker. But it's Tony Robbins with some scripture uh, thrown in there.
0: <laughs> yes, I th- I think that's a perfect description. Absolutely. Well, before we get to
1: to today's subject, I wanted to mention a couple things. Uh, We had some technical difficulties on the podcast I mentioned last week, and everything is fixed. Praise the Lord for that. But in the process of all this, we lost about a third of our iTunes reviews. So if you... Reviewed us early on. Your review may be one that disappeared, and it's all long and complicated. And I we're not even exactly sure what caused everything. Um, but if you reviewed us early on, we'd love for you to go back on, make sure your review is still there, and if it isn't, uh, do another one. And if you haven't reviewed us before and you enjoy this podcast, we we love the reviews. The other thing I wanted to mention is we we have been consistently selling the Theology Gal's merchandise that we, we put out. We're constantly getting a, a trickle of, of purchases in there. And just if you if you aren't aware, there are a gazillion colors, several different styles. I think there's like six different style of shirts available. We even have V-necks mm-hmm. available now. Uh, I, hopefully this week I'll be listing long sleeves and hoodies and oh yeah, pads.
0: so oh, yeah, I cannot wait to get my hands on a long sleeve theology. <laughs> yes, gal. you know my friends here. <laughs> One of my friends saw me the other day and said, "How many of those theology gal shirts do you have?" <laughs>
1: One in every color and style. I am good for a month. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I got rid of all... I, I have like the inspector gadget closet, actually. It's instead of being full of the gray jackets, it's full of Theology Gals t-shirts.
1: There there you go. And it's it's a conversation starter. Let me tell it you. I is. was at the doctor this week and... The receptionist uh, said, I was wearing one of my Theology Gals shirts, and the receptionist says, Theology Gals, I, I really like that shirt, but what is it? And uh, so I explained it was the podcast, and she didn't come out and say she was a Christian, but she said some things to indicate that. And she said, I'm really intrigued with what you're describing, and I'm definitely checking it out. So, cool. you know, you, you never know. You can start a conversation about Theology Gals, and uh, it's just, kind of a fun thing. I haven't really worn, like, I don't really have, like, a lot of Christian t-shirts. My Mm -hmm. brother-in-law's organization, it used to be New Reformation Press, and they had a a couple shirts. I have a couple of those, but they're not, also not the typical kind of Christian t-shirt that I wore in high school. I I used to have, like, a closet full of, like, the 19, late 1980s, early 1990s Christian t-shirts, and some of them, were really corny. Like they had um, the one where it's a bunch of fish going one direction and then one little (laughs) fish going the other direction. It says, I going against the flow or something like that. And there was some verse. I had one that said, Lord of all or not at all.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What about, um, I need to know if you had this one. Okay. Um, a lot of kids in my high school youth group had this you remember the shirts that that said Massimo on them yes. only there yes. was a christian version it yep. said messiah right
1: yeah i didn't i did not have for that for if one. you're cool and holy so. that, that's right well and just like they had the the god's gem instead of the gold's gem oh
0: yes oh <laughs> Oh boy, it takes me back.
1: <laughs> now, if you're one of our younger listeners, you're just clueless right now. <laughs>
0: Google, Google is yes. your friend. <laughs> okay, laugh, my laugh my
1: my favorite one when I was in high school. It said "stoked for Jesus."
0: So how? About oh yeah. <laughs> Stoked! I'm Christian and I know lingo.
1: <laughs> so, oh my! But the theology gals shirts—they, I, th- I think they're pretty cool. And the site, you know, it's the site. It, it is, it is a pretty good setup. But you do kind of have to click around to really see all the styles and shirts. So, you can look at our store and be like, wait, I thought there was a bunch of shirts and colors. You really got to click on each individual item. And then that logo will have several, you'll see different styles. You got to click on each style and then see what colors that style is available in. Mm -hmm. And, and there will be more to come. And I, we, oh, we have tote bags too. I forgot to mention that because I know a lot of gals were like, I want a tote bag for, you know, church and Bible study. So we have we have those also.
0: (laughs) Everything Um, your heart could desire. That is, that is
1: correct. And also if you are one of our Patreon supporters, there is a discount code on our supporters page. So make sure you grab that code if you are one of our supporters. And then also, um, I know sometimes some of you, we get to the end of the subject and you don't stay around for the, yeah, about that segment, but you don't want to miss today's. After we're done with today's topic, we we have a great yeah about that lined up for you today. And, and we know we don't always do the yeah about that, but um, when when we have enough time, we do. So today we're going to take on a subject that some people told me we should not take on, and <laughs> they said, uh, "I don't, I don't know, Colleen. It, it may, yeah, I don't know if that's a good idea, but." The, it, it is the subject of modesty and I think one reason why people said that is because there's there is stuff out there that's just not good. And mm-hmm. you you really have to be careful in how you approach the subject. And one thing I think a lot of times our attitudes on modesty um can be very reactionary. So if you've grown up in really strong purity culture and have uh, had all these legalistic modesty rules, you're like pushing back, like no one's going to tell me, you know, what to wear and not what to wear. I'm not looking at that list, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. Right. And
1: and the other side is is a more extreme and I think wrong focused where the primary motivation for modesty is so that men will not lust after you. And... Mm -hmm. We have talked behind the scenes a lot about going to scripture, stepping back, not making this about being reactionary or putting our own spin on it, but really trying to use wisdom and looking at what God's word has to say about modesty.
0: Right. You know, um, when you and I first started talking about doing this topic, I will admit I was a little nervous about it because of all of the things that you just said. It is a topic that is often not handled well, but um, I think the key is what you just said, that if we go to the Word and take a look at what it says and um, what it can teach us, um, there's really no reason to be afraid of this topic. The, The Word can give us what we need to figure out what we can do. So do we have a scripture that we want to start with?
1: Yeah. You know, and I think this is probably one of the most often used passages, but I think it's a good one to start with. And that is from 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4. Mm -hmm. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding of the hair and weaving, wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. So Angela, why don't you read another one that's pretty common and popular?
0: Yeah. 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10 is relevant to our discussion. It says, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness.
1: One thing you see whenever it's talking about modesty, it goes back to godliness. Mm-hmm. And so let me actually, before we dig in a little bit more, I looked it up in the Bible dictionary. I think that these definitions can be really helpful. You know, I went through my concordance and and really tried to find all passages on modesty. And as far as words that are translated into modesty, it's just very few times in scripture.
0: Right, more of a concept than the, the particular word. Is that right? Right,
1: and, and there's some other words that are sometimes translated differently, but similar words. But um, the Bible dictionary says, an attitude of humility, avoiding improper self-exaltation or excessive flamboyance, Scripture urges modesty in personal behavior, forms of dress and forms of behavior. And the the thing that I want to emphasize tonight very strongly is that modesty is not just don't wear sexually explicit clothing. And I think that in our in Christian circles it's often the primary thing we think about, but that's mm-hmm. not really biblical. I mean, even the the Bible Dictionary's description, and if you study the passages, it's not just about not wearing sexually explicit clothing. We even see where in the First Timothy passage where it says, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly garments. Right.
0: So overall, it's, you know, based on the Bible Dictionary definition and some of what we've talked about as we've been looking at some of these passages. I'm coming away with the idea that um, modesty is a lot about an attitude of humility. Is, is that what you see? Absolutely. Absolutely. We've got another definition here that I think is really helpful. It's the quality or state of being unassuming or moderate in the estimation of one's abilities, behavior, manner, or appearance intended to avoid impropriety or indecency. And this is interesting. Those are two different definitions and the first one is the quality or state of being unassuming or moderate in the estimation of one's abilities. That to me um, is saying more about character. And the second definition is um, more about appearance. So it's really interesting as we've been studying this to really just see it pop out that modesty is such a bigger realm and a bigger concept than just a list of clothing.
1: And I think that really also, and and Rachel Miller has an excellent blog of Modesty. I'm going to link in the episode notes. And one of the things she talks about is seeking to please God, not men. And right. you know, what is it? What is godly virtue?
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. We're given descriptions of that throughout scripture, even just look at the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, thankfulness, self-control, that that is godly virtue.
0: Right. I think one of the things that um, really stands out to me in these two passages that we read um, from first Timothy and from first Peter is that um something that these passages have in common is talking about adorning and it tells you what not to adorn yourself what they both talk about positively adorning yourself with is good works and godliness what do you think about that in relationship to to modesty well i i think that
1: that is it i think a focus so we talked about it being an attitude of humility and so a focus on adorning ourselves with godliness will result mm. in an attitude of humility uh-huh. will result in modesty in our in our attitudes, I think, and wh- one of the things I think it's important to note i I read a lot of different commentaries this week on these passages, and there is pretty much consensus across the board where it says where it talks about, you were talking about general ideas, but when it talks about, you know, not braiding of the hair or gold, that that's not giving you a list. Like women do not ever right. braid your hair because that would be ungodly.
0: Right. That's not what that is is saying at all. Right. That section is more conveying an idea. Um, and it's interesting, both of these, both of these passages talk about those kinds of things. And Some of the things that we've come across in our study are indicating that those are really talking about sort of flaunting wealth, flaunting status in the church, and that that is not immodest. You know, I have a quote from John Calvin. I think it's uh, it's such
1: a great jumping off point, and I, I love this quote so much. I'll put it in the episode notes. He wishes, therefore, that their dress should be regulated by modesty and sobriety, for luxury and immoderate expense arise from a desire to make a display either for the sake of pride of departure from chastity. And so I thought that part was interesting for the sake of mm-hmm. pride. And then he says, and hence we ought to derive the rule of moderation, for since we dress in an indifferent matter, as all outward matters are, it is difficult to assign a fixed limit how far we ought to go.
0: Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm.
1: quote uh, this quote just says so much of what I want to communicate. Tonight, even when he talks about talks about it's difficult to assign a fixed limit, how far we ought to go. And when we brought this up in the group, and I find this so often, young women will come to me with modesty questions. Is that they want a fixed limit. You know, can you just give me a <laughs> right. list of rules? I, I just want the black and white mm-hmm. list of rules on on how to be modest. you know I,
0: I need you to tell me how many inches long my shorts can be.
1: And what style shirts are appropriate. And mm-hmm. <laughs> we're not going to tell you that tonight.
0: Yeah. You know, I think sometimes people may think that if we're unwilling to call out and say, oh, you shouldn't wear this and you shouldn't wear that, that, that maybe that, that is too soft or we're afraid to do it. But I think we're not saying, I think what we're saying is that it's actually bigger than that, that that is, you're aiming too low. Um, Right. It's not 100% subjective. Right. Okay. So um, I'm thinking about something we were talking about this week, Colleen, that... People say very often about this and other things, hey, it doesn't really matter exactly what you wear. What really matters is in your heart. And people say that about so many other things, not the, just this. And so I think something that it's important for us to remember about that is that, yes, intentions do matter. But I think we need to think about that phrase, what matters is what's in your heart, and uh, You know, the Bible tells us the heart is deceitfully wicked. (laughs) And so we know what's in our heart (laughs) and uh, um, we cannot be assured that something is good just because the origin of it was my heart many terrible things come from my heart. So this is not to say that intentions don't matter. They do matter. But that's not the only thing that matters. I think we all know that good old saying, the road to hell is paved in good intentions. It's not just about intentions. I I don't know how many of our listeners are familiar with new age thought. I have some friends whose religion is new age. And in their religion, intention is central it is the thing that matters, and it's the only thing that matters. It's the cause of all things. And here's the thing. Christianity is different. That That's not actually the central thought of Christianity. We actually have things that are objectively right and wrong. And so a lot of the conversation about modesty is a matter of wisdom. However, that does not mean it is only a matter of wisdom. It's a free-for-all everyone do what's right in your own eyes. I, I I don't think that we can affirm that it's all the way there. There are definitely things that we could do in under the heading of modesty or not do that would be a definite right and wrong objectively. And so is it okay for us to just do those things because our heart is right about it? I don't think so. I think that we have to remember that there is objective right and wrong. And so we do need to, Make sure that we're considering all of the things that we're going to talk about tonight, not just clothes, attitudes, behavior, and, and checking all of that down to moderation and thinking about who are we giving attention to. Um, and it should be the Lord. That's how we regulate what we are doing, what we are wearing, what we are saying. Um, that is the right test, not my heart the thing that we can find comfort
1: and be encouraged in is that we are being sanctified and the Lord, the Lord is working that our affections in us, that our affections line up more and more with his, that we die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Um, I wanted to talk uh, real quickly, just for a little bit, some of the attitudes I've seen, on modesty, because this is something I've just been thinking so, so much about when we talk about those reactions being reactionary to different things. And so much we can see can be reactions to different things. Like sometimes the antinomian is living in reaction to the legalist and mm-hmm. vice versa. And and we really want to have a biblical perspective on this. But if you haven't listened to our episode on purity culture, please listen to it because I think some of the attitudes I'm seeing about modesty now are in reaction to purity culture. Hmm. And Rachel Darnell, who's in our group has written an excellent article on modesty. And she talks about growing up in kind of the purity culture, Bill Gothard circles. And I think what in those circles, what young women were taught is over and above any other motivation, even though I'm not sure they'd say it just like this, but this is the message that that they received was your primary reason for modesty is so that men will not lust after you.
0: And I think that that's very problematic. Mm, Indeed. I I think that in certain other kinds of conversations, we are very quick to say everyone else's sin is not my sin. Everyone takes responsibility for their own sin. And somehow in this conversation, the water gets muddy and there are a lot of of ways in which people start to say that I can cause someone else's sin and that, that makes it my sin. So uh, what, what do you think about that, Colleen? Okay. First of all,
1: your ladies, your primary motivation for modesty and behavior and dress in, in your lives is obedience to God. Not, it is not keeping your brothers from stumbling. And let me, let me explain what happened in purity culture is And if you talk to any young women who grew up in it, some of them will tell you this, that they lived in fear of a man lusting after them. What if I wear something that causes them to lust after me? And and while it is true that... That um, that more men could potentially look at you in ways they ought not if you're wearing s- something sexually explicit. You can also dress modestly, and a man will lust after you. Mm-hmm. And the the lust is the man's sin; it is not your sin. But if you are a modest, that is your sin.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: The thing that I've seen among some younger women who kind of grew up in that is more of an attitude of nobody's going to tell me what to wear. I mean, somebody actually said that to me. Nobody's going to tell me what to wear. It's yeah. not my fault if a yeah. man lusts after me. I'm wearing my string bikini. And I, that's, not, that's
0: not the right attitude either, ladies. Right. So we have some poor attitudes and ideas about modesty coming out of purity culture, extreme modesty, extreme regulation of what clothing people can and should wear, using a look at what someone else is wearing as a litmus test of holiness. I've seen ladies in our group talk about this, like, Uh, One lady said something like, well, we all knew if we grew up in that world that if you saw somebody wearing pants, well, you know that lady's not that close to God. Well, so these are terrible attitudes about modesty. And then we have coming out of that sort of as a response of throwing that yoke off the attitude that you just mentioned of I do what I want. No one's going to tell me what to do. And the problem with that is you know we serve a God who does <laughs> who does have standards because he's holy, and so the attitude itself of nobody's going to tell me what to do that in and of itself is not a very modest attitude it's not an attitude of humility um, and so we should be seeking to glorify the Lord and we should love his law, we should love honoring him and so no one's gonna tell me what to do is most likely not centering our thoughts and our affections on pleasing the Lord. Right,
1: because the Lord tells us what to do. And while we are justified by faith alone as children of God, we ought to be seeking obedience to his laws and his to his word, to his standards. And he has called us to modesty in, in
0: behavior and dress and in all of life. Right. Uh, you've got an interesting quote here. It is by Rebecca Van Dudeward And she says, even in conservative churches, the tendency to antinomianism when it comes to women's clothing is just as prevalent and dangerous as legalism is. So I, this is what we find here is sort of what we find in many Conversations uh, on on different issues that we've got a ditch on both sides, and so we can be antinomian or we can be legalists.
1: <laughs> well, and I think a lot of us. I I think probably depending on what kind of church you grew up in. If you grew up in a you know fundamentalist Baptist church, you probably especially saw it where. You know, I I know people. I saw a lot in the homeschooling circles that it is only appropriate for women to wear a dress. They use uh, the Old Testament passages passage that talks about a man not wearing a women's clothing, and so they'll say that pants are for men and they're absolutely immodest for women to wear. And and there's there's people in our circles that believe that, but I think. Going back to Calvin, that there's not—it's difficult to have a, a fixed limit on on what it is, what exactly this this looks like. And the other, there's another quote from her also, and I'll just read part of it. But she talks about the descriptions of the adulterous woman in Proverbs. As well, sexual modesty had to do with the kind of clothing and makeup a person put on to draw attention to herself, not with the showing of skin, even though the showing of skin is also one of the things, there's parts of our bodies, and we, there's some verses to that end too, that we keep covered. And uh, one of the ladies that from our group that messaged me used, used the phrase showing off, and i think that that's a good description of of not being modest and showing off and that might be in show in showing skin so that it it um brings more attention to you as not but it also might be in other ways you you know angela you had a a really good story and it, i think it might actually make the point about a church that you visited and mm-hmm. i had another i had a gal from our group write me with a very similar story so
0: yeah. Um, this has been years ago. My husband and I visited a church um, that was a medium-large-ish sized church um, where we lived in Alabama. And we visited there for probably a little more than a month. And so we would go into the service and sit down for a few minutes before the service started and The feel of the room was always very cold, not particularly welcoming. No one spoke to us. And so we're sitting there. um, And the reason we were visiting churches at this time in our life is we were looking for a new church because we were lonely and we wanted to make friends. And so we, no one spoke to us there. And I remember looking around, um, I did this for a couple of weeks, and then we got home one week and I said to my husband, did you notice, do you ever notice when we're in there, how many extremely high-end designer bags are in there, uh, extremely high-end designer, sunglasses are on people's heads. There were more than one person at this church who drove a hummer and I don't mean the h3 I mean the real thing <laughs> and it, it just I started to notice there is money on display in this room and it it sort of it was very intimidating I'll, I'll put it that way and i didn't think of it this way at the time, but I've thought of it since that I think that that is a great example of possibly exactly what these passages are talking about that needs to be checked at the door when we're talking about um, worshiping with the body is that we're not here to show off our fabulous closet of runway fashion. We are here to worship the triune God together with the body and not draw attention to ourselves.
1: Right. And though in those things, you know, an expensive bag uh, may not be wrong in and of itself. Right. Um,
0: it's important it, that we say that.
1: Right. It's more the showing the showing off uh sort of sort of attitude. I worked for an extremely wealthy family before I got married as a live-in nanny and 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 I lived with them, Oh, I said live in, so obviously that means I lived with them. And But it was so eye-opening to me because I grew up kind of in an upper-middle-class home. And, and then my parents kind of lost everything. My dad lost his business. And so that was a very um, humbling experience for me. Just being in this very upper-class, multi-million-dollar mansions and and people that just, CEOs of companies that lived in our neighborhood. We did not live far from Michael Jordan. Just the different attitude where there's almost, almost watched this from the outside, almost a competition between the women, you know, uh-huh. who who has the new Chanel bag or whatever the thing is uh, right. at, at that time. And I really watched that where it just became this constant sort of competition about the newest car. And, you know, my employers had a Ferrari and a Porsche and, you know, all these, all these different things and it be, and those things are not wrong in and of themselves. My dad has a convertible Mercedes and it's just his fun retirement car, but it's, it's, it was more that showing off like almost like an attitude of it, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, I think that's what was really noticeable at this place was that there was an obvious culture of of money being on display that you could tell if you were accepted as a part of that or not, and and that that attitude does not have any place in the body. It um, right. that that is not modesty,
1: you know, Angela. I, I actually have a. At one time, you know, we visited a church and got to know some of the people and uh, we have a pretty, t- our, our house, probably very typical, you know, four bedrooms, three bathrooms and and whatnot. And one of the ladies came over and I, I feel like my house is a, a wonderful size, perfect size for our family and everything. And, but the, they were just much more wealthier. And one of the ladies said, how do you live in a house this small with four children? <laughs> and Oh my. And, <laughs> And well we get by <laughs> right and i was just so so puzzled by by that but i think i i think it's that same sort of it, that same sort of thing and one of the things i really i, I also think that i just want to mention cuz i think it's important is to also be careful not to judge people sometimes i think there's an automatic if somebody does have money that even if they are being modest in, mm-hmm. in the way they live their lives. They may have a, a large house, but they're not, they're, they're not, they're godly people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people automatically assume just because the Lord has given them a good job, a good income, that they're modest. And I think we also have to guard ourselves from that because I think sometimes coveting sneaks in. And so you you're coveting what your neighbor has. And so to make yourself feel better, then you just judge them because they must not be modest. You know,
0: I think you're exactly right. And um, I, I like to remember that some of the most kind and generous people that Matt and I have ever known were some wealthy people who, if you didn't know from, being at their house, outside of that, you wouldn't know that they were wealthy. And so I think, yeah, it's very, very important to remember that just like anything else, wealth is a gift from the Lord and it is not, just like a certain kind of dress is not a litmus test for holiness A certain size of bank account is not a litmus test where we get to say, well, that person's immodest.
1: I mean, I think even in some circles, it's almost like the the less wealthy are exalted as automatically being more godly.
0: Right. And that, of course, is asceticism. And that is incorrect. So why don't we talk about modesty on social media? I think this is sort of an intriguing thought. What are your thoughts? about modesty on social media, Colleen.
1: Well, first of all, I think it doesn't mean. I, I think some people may hear, "How do we be modest on social media?" And they may think, "Okay, don't don't post pictures of yourself in your bathing suit, or um, <laughs> you know, be careful that you know different angles of your camera and how your, your female body is portrayed, or things like that." And and I th- I think this goes back to what we talked about that scripture really talks about godliness. And I think that, I think it's, this, I think it's really the same with, with all of life. If we're, we're just out there bragging and showing off. And mm-hmm. um, I think social media has really provided this, I think an even greater culture of competition and mm-hmm. being judgmental. And so You see, you know, one person and they've got the pictures of their perfect family. You know, it just looks like, you know, you're gonna walk into their house, it's gonna look like a model home. Even if you just show up at their door by surprise on a Saturday morning, it'll be perfectly clean and and wonderful and they'll have just made a, a super big nice breakfast and they have this everything is perfect. And and so there there is a sense where we not not everybody, but where social media has kind of Become a place to show off.
0: Yes. I mean, isn't it just inherent in social media that there's this underlying message of me, me, look at me? And so I think it is um, interesting that there are lots of ways on social media that we can fall into drawing attention to ourselves just for the sake of wanting attention. Oh, everybody knows about vague booking. I don't know what that is. Oh, Colleen, you don't know about <laughs> yes. vague booking? So oh Angela my... has to teach me something tonight. Oh my goodness, vague booking. It's, you know, when you post on Facebook um, something very vague about how uh, something has just happened. I've had the worst day. Don't ask me about it. Or, you know, maybe they don't say don't ask okay. me Sometimes they do. And... Uh, <laughs> What the person really wants is for a hundred people to comment, Oh, sweetie, what's wrong? What's the matter? And the intention is just to be vague to get attention. Okay. Um, got it. I think have all seen this. You might not have known the word, but I think Right. Oh yeah. No, I think everyone <laughs> has I think I would put that in the category of not modest.
1: Right. Cause it, it is a a very attention seeking. Behavior now. If you, let, let me say, if you are going through a hard time, you can connect with people on social media. That there is Absolutely. appropriate ways to do that. You know, I've had a really hard, you know, post. I've had a really hard day today. Our family is struggling right now. Can you please pray for us? And and I think, you know, intentions um do have partial to do with this. Not. Everything, mm-hmm. like you said earlier, but what what is my in, intent in in posting something?
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: You know, one um, of the things, what, there's a couple things we asked in our group, what are some things you'd like us to hit on? And these were not things I was planning on hitting on, but I, I think we need to because enough people said it and... I called my mom today. My mom, after she graduated college, she didn't get married till she was almost 30. So, after she graduated college, my mom was a single missionary in what was Zaire. And so, this was in uh, starting in the let's see, probably mid. 1960s or so, mid to late 1960s or so. And then my mom also, from the time she was five years old, grew up in Venezuela as a missionary kid. So she she was a, a missionary kid and then a single missionary herself. Um, so both in Venezuela and then in Africa. And I talked to my grandparents um you know a lot about this before their death my grandparents are very modest people in in dress and behavior and i've talked to my mom about this before and she told me just a, i think it's important to understand that modesty that there are cultural aspects to modesty yes and so my mom told me a story that in in the area that they were at it was extremely common it was it was actually the common practice for women to be shirtless, and so she said, when the first missionaries got got there, and I may, I think maybe from their mission organization, when the first missionaries got there, they they went to some of the women and they said, you know, we you really need to wear shirts, and and the women said to them, the only women that can afford. To wear shirts are the prostitutes, and if we suddenly start wearing shirts, we may be singled out as prostitutes, and so, and that really gave the missionaries some things um, to to think about. And one of the things that they realized is that in in Africa, in Africa, that part of Africa, that that brass were seen really more as a functional thing. They were for feeding your baby. But on the flip side of that, legs were seen as extremely sexual. So women did not wear pants. Uh, Women wore skirts down to their ankles. And so here they are topless, which would be seen as very immodest in our culture, but it was not seen as immodest in theirs. And yet they absolutely covered their legs to their ankles. And so... What, and one of the things that my mom said to me was it really opened her eyes to how much how much the American culture oversexualizes everything. Now, those things are sexual. We know even from scripture that, that breasts are one of the things that the Lord has given for a husband to enjoy. But I I think it just demonstrates that there's very that that there are there are standards in different in different customs. The other thing you didn't—I mm-hmm. uh, read another story from a missionary woman in Africa who said, you know, she did not wear her wedding ring in, when she's in Africa. She puts it back on when she gets to the states because it would be seen as very inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And so, there's not always black and and white standards now. Even even if the Christian, w- the women that became Christians in Africa and I remember my grandfather talking about them um, covering up for Sunday morning worship, but even the men, the American men were still faced with, it was everywhere that women were were topless. And so one of the things they had to talk about and pray about and seek the Lord on is having pure thoughts and, and not having impure thoughts and sexual thoughts about the things that they were seeing because they were going to face it you know, even if it was outside of their Christian community.
0: Right. I, I think that this um, is, is very eye-opening and interesting for us to consider as it relates to clothing that context matters. And so appropriate when it comes to clothing includes appropriate for the situation, I think that other cultures and thinking about what is modest in other cultures being different than our culture really kind of highlights that. Um, You were talking about missionaries in Africa. I have family also who are missionaries in Africa, and where they are is um, a very uh, covered up culture, and so it's also very, very hot there. It's uh, around 120 degrees every day. And my family member, uh, they dress very covered, and so I, I think that what's important there is to think about what are you drawing attention to. I'm, I mean, I know that um, my family would would they like to wear shorts and a sleeveless top and um, call it a day because it's that hot. I think they definitely would, but. Instead, it's the long, long, long skirt and a headscarf and long sleeves every day, and it's hot. And that's because of thinking about in this culture what is appropriate and what will keep attention off of myself so that I'm able to give attention to the Lord. And I think that that's something that that we can learn from in our own culture is to think about what am I drawing attention to? Am I drawing attention to myself or this is what I want? Am I drawing attention to my self-expression by saying this is who I am? Am I drawing attention to my own freedom? These are my rights. I'm allowed to do this. Or am I drawing attention to the Lord and taking the attention off of myself? And, of course, that doesn't eliminate being artistic with what we wear um, and differentiating, um, choosing things that are beautiful, choosing things that are in style and up to date. Modesty does not have to be about living in a time warp or being frumpy. Right, exactly. And you know, that is so interesting to think about that being immodest can go two different directions. It can go, uh, not, not covered enough or too covered. If I'm being, uh, Kind of wooden about it. It can be uh, too risque or it can be um, making you completely disappear. And I th- think both are a problem. So there is a way that we can um, develop a skill of adorning ourselves with holiness, enjoying what we have in the body that God gave us, and dressing our body in a way that um, Highlights who we are in the Lord, and it it doesn't have to be a drag, like you said, it doesn't have to be frumpy,
1: yeah we' we're not we're not promoting Amish uh, apparel customs here either. And talking to my mom just about modesty in general today, my mom's such a wise woman, and she she said it's so important for us to be wise, and you know, I was thinking that I think a large percentage of christian women have a general idea of what is immodest and not immodest in dress i i, mm. I don't think i really have to spell it out yes we we probably all know it, there may be someone who dresses immodestly and doesn't even realize it. There may be ignorant. There may be a newer Christian, or for whatever reason, of course, that exists. But I do think that most Christian women do have a general sense of what is and isn't modest, what is and isn't appropriate.
0: I agree. I think, um, and I think it's an area where we all th- go through periods of growth and growing up. But I, I think that. In our circles, um, a lot of the time in Christian circles, we're more familiar maybe with judging others on what they're wearing than extending grace. I, I know that we're certainly, we certainly want to talk about not being antinomian. We certainly, we've already talked about it's really not at all about an attitude of I do what I want. But I think that I know I've been guilty of thinking, oh, she's wearing that. And instead of just thinking, "Hey, she mm-hmm. might have some room to grow." and I, I'm sure that's going to happen.
1: let me let me say just a couple other things about modesty on a practical level, though. You know, things like all of us women, we even have bit different body types. and and there may even be things that uh, one woman that she can wear and it, it may be modest for her. And maybe not for someone else. You know, if one woman mm-hmm. has a larger chest, there may be certain shirts that really don't portray modesty and dress on her. And and so just on a practical level, I think that's important. Uh, I had, when I was a teenager, a... A mom that I knew almost my whole life and I babysat her kids. She was younger than my mom, but older than me. And she really came alongside me because we had similar body types. And she really just offered me so much wisdom. And that was 30 years ago. And I, mm-hmm. I still think back to that conversation and the things that she shared with me. And it really made such a huge encouraging impact on my life. And so I think wisdom, I know that sometimes for me and on another practical note, if I'm unsure, you know, if I get a new top or a new dress or, you know, whatever the case may be, and I'm just, I'm unsure I asked my husband. I think most absolutely. of my husbands are wise. Like, honey, do you think this is appropriate for church, or do mm-hmm. you think this is appropriate for going out to dinner?
0: Mm-hmm. Can you see through this when right. I stand? Yeah, absolutely agree. That is a fantastic resource for married ladies. Ladies who aren't married, take a friend um, shopping with you, or if you're not sure about something, put it off until you have a friend over and ask. Hey, what do you think about this? Is this is this Appropriate, and I think that's a great uh, a great um, thought for how we can check things out. I, you also sort of jogged my memory there about different body types. I think that this is something that we can keep in mind when we are thinking a little too much about what other people are wearing. That there are all kinds of different body types, and especially for women, different body types can be difficult to dress, and it can be difficult to find clothing. That fits just the right way. And there are a lot of folks out there that are just kind of doing the best they can. And I think we need to be gracious to them and not internally be thinking, you need to get it together. That, that shirt is showing a little too much curve. I, uh, I think that it would be um, wonderful to um, allow ourselves to sort of let it go sometimes when we can.
1: Yeah. Well, I was talking to one of the gals in our group and who had some really good thoughts on on modesty and and one point that she made and I as a woman I can say this is true is I think sometimes more attractive women are more harshly judged in this or mm-hmm. you know they they're very very attractive and and even in the most modest clothing are are just extremely attractive women and and I've seen where women sometimes will more harshly judge them almost like it's wrong to be that attractive and and that's mm-hmm. that's not that's not fruitful.
0: I completely agree, and I've seen the exact same thing
1: there are practical aspects, but we're not going to talk right now about yoga pants. <laughs> Um, or um, <laughs> if if and how you, you ought to wear them, what, what we do want to encourage is, is modesty. The other question on a practical level that someone asked me, and I hate to even bring it up, but I'm going to only because it's been brought up a few times and I actually received like five different at least private messages today asking us to bring up certain things. And that—that that is the idea of breastfeeding in public. And I know, right, it, this is another thing my mom told me that when they, when she went to the mission field in the 1940s as a missionary kid, in the United States at that time, people did not breastfeed in public. And so they get to Venezuela where the women do breastfeed in public. And she said they were not immodest about it. They were discreet the way that uh, most women today in the United States are. And I know there's this new move. <laughs> um, you know, we we see these, you know, everyone go to Walmart and breastfeed your baby at noon or whatever the movement is. And, and there's a lot of people who say, well, I don't have to cover up and stuff. Let me just say, even on that, if you're going to breastfeed in public. And, and I, I did, I'll be honest, use wisdom, you know, to, to so discreetly don't do so to draw attention to yourself or show off, you know, Mm -hmm. here I am, I can breastfeed and no one's going to tell me not to. And that's not really the right, the right attitude. Either where we're out there just flaunting it, we we can do so discreetly and with wisdom.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I I think what's really um, important in what you just said again is that it's coming back to the attitude of I can do this and nobody's going to tell me not to. Okay. Well, when we're talking about breastfeeding, it's the law. That's true. You certainly can breastfeed in public, and so. You can rest and have confidence in it's okay for me to do this without having the attitude of drawing attention to yourself in doing so, which I think that for the most part, most moms who are out there breastfeeding their baby in public, especially early in that nursing relationship and especially in the first baby or two, it's not as easy as as you think, maybe (laughs) before you, you, you first start breastfeeding, it can be difficult. It can come with a lot of hiccups. It can come with a lot of mechanical problems. And so I think a lot of moms out there are not really trying to cop an attitude and instead it's just something that they've got to do out of necessity. And so, uh, We know ladies um, in our group who I know are very, very modest, sweet women who have said, yeah, I have breastfed in public without a cover and it can be done discreetly. And if you're doing it discreetly, no one's even going to know it's happening and i think that that's great because it's it's taking advantage of the freedom that we have to do that and it's taking advantage of being able to feed your baby and nurture your baby baby's hungry baby needs to eat we feed baby and not making a big deal out of it, it, it we're just sort of doing what we need to do
1: like my mom said and think if we go back to the to what's appropriate in culture you you know if I was in the 1940s and it was seen as inappropriate and it would draw unnecessary attention to myself in that situation, it probably would be best for me to step into another room. Now it, for the most part, is seen as acceptable and and uh, appropriate to breastfeed in public if done discreetly. I mean I know that there's non-discreet breastfeeding in public too, but I again it just we don't need to show it off. Mhm mhm. I can do it so I'm just going to be out there and you know if someone sees me then that's that's their problem. I'm not try, I'm not trying to be sexual. So, you know, our our attitudes, we still need to look to scripture for what for what behavior that we are called to.
0: Mhm.
1: One of the things I wanted to touch on, and I'm not going to have a lot of wisdom on this, <laughs> but more than one person asked me to talk about it. In fact, two different people private messaged me specifically and asked me to talk about, and that is coming out of purity culture, which, which basically painted young men as uncontrollable and women as seducing, whether they realized it or not, and put all this unnecessary and I really think kind of awful pressure on women to be responsible for their brother's sin of lust how do we teach our children about modesty and i'm going to start with my boys because first of all my we're we're speaking to the women in this episode and we're not really speaking to the men but modesty is not just a command for women we talked specific we talked more specifically about uh, where it addresses women in scripture but you know that it's not just a command for women but one of the things raising four sons and my sons are now 15 18 20 and almost 22 and even if even when i was homeschooling all my kids and most of our time was spent at church and homeschool co-op my children are still going to run into women that are showing a lot of skin and dressing sexually explicit i mean you can't even barely go to the grocery store without seeing it. And so in regards to our sons, I think you need to teach them the importance of purity, purity in their thoughts, self-control. These are the things that um, you teach your young men because they're going to be faced with it. They're going to be faced with temptations. In fact, I'm going to tell you, men can still lust after a woman who's dressed modestly. And so in regards to our sons, of course, we don't just, I, I don't want to portray that lust is only a young men problem because there's young women who struggle with it also. But as far as in the context of what we're talking about here and the way women dress and and men potentially lusting after them, what you should be teaching, you should not ever give your sons be out that the woman that they're lusting after bears some of the responsibility of their sin and first of all, don't do that and and second of all, your sons should be learning should be seeking to be obedient to God by fleeing sexual immorality which includes in their thought lives and as far as young teenagers. I don't know if, you know, neither one of us have had teenage girls. You will have one um, (laughs) one day. Have you thought about this? What sorts of things you'll teach
0: your daughter? Oh my. Yeah. Some of, some of what you just mentioned, certainly, but also that I want my daughter to get her confidence in herself from who she is in the Lord and not from what other th- others think about what she looks like. My daughter's only 3 and she is adorable. And so yeah, she's a beautiful little girl. <laughs> I tell her every day, I put my hands on her cheeks and say I love your pretty face and she is. But I think that for me part of the key here and this is for my 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 daughter and my son is to praise character. At least as much, and hopefully more, than outward appearance, and to help her see that her value is in being an image bearer of the Lord, and in being in Christ and glorifying Him, and and not looking um, for that attention. Um, it's you know, it's something that you and I were talking about earlier in the week, and I remember you said teenage girls know how to get attention. And oh boy, is that the truth. And so for me right now, it's just plans. Like you said, I don't have a teenager yet, but in my mind right now, how that is getting formulated is I know she's going to want attention. And so I want to start now helping her understand where attention should be coming from and what her value is in, what kind of attention um, should she want? It, it goes
1: back, I think, to the discussion on our identity, since there's such an emphasis in that in our culture right now and where is our identity and our identity should not be in these external things. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Should not be being the uh, attractive girl with a nice body or... And I think I was, as a teenager, I I was a little bit clueless in that I understood that dressing certain ways uh, got attention from boys. I saw it, you know, with different boys and girls at school, but I don't think I really understood what that meant. I didn't have any brothers. I didn't really understand what that attention was. But I also don't, if I had a teenage daughter, I would not want to put the pressure on her that she needs to live her life, primarily trying to not let men lust after her.
0: Absolutely. I I think that it's really important to me um, for my daughter to know that her goal with modesty is to obey the Lord and represent the Lord well and what should be a natural consequence of that is that she is not causing brothers to stumble but her primary focus needs to be on exalting the Lord and
1: our identity is in Christ and and I I want I'm going to make a list in the episode notes of some of the different passages on modesty. And I would, one of the things I, I want you to read through the, those passages. And one of the things I want you to pay attention to is the things that it says we should be adorning ourselves with. And, and that should be a greater focus than having the right clothes and portraying a certain image physically that are, and we're told to fix our eyes on Jesus. Not on us. It doesn't say fix your eyes on yourself. We always we already do that quite a bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, uh, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. I have a few great articles. I'm linking in the episode notes today, and I mentioned the one from from Rachel Miller, the one from Rachel Darnell, and then there's a couple other ones. The other thing, this, last, I want to say this before we get to the, yeah, about that. Talk to your female friends, talk to older women in your church. If you're not sure, if you're trying to figure this out, you know, talk about it, find encouragement, gain, you know, um, listen to the wisdom of other women.
0: Yes, absolutely. Because this is largely a wisdom issue. And, um, those, older stateswomen in the faith have a lot to offer us in giving us wisdom um, on topics like these.
1: Yes, and I I had such a great conversation. My mom is just a very, very wise woman, and you know she reads so many Reformed theology books, and she's like, oh, I just got this book, and she pulled it out and she was reading because it had some talked about modesty, but it was talking about what we're told to adorn ourselves with. They, the book that I forget the name of it, but it, it had a great emphasis on that. And, and that's what we should be focusing on and humility, humility. Do you have anything to add on the modesty thing? I mean, I know we barely scratched the surface because there's so much on this subject, but
0: no, I think the note you ended on was fantastic. Humility. Um, thinking of others as more important than ourselves, making much of the Lord, exalting Him, um, taking the focus off of ourselves that's, that's really what it's about. Amen. Well, we promised
1: you that we'd have an interesting yeah about that. If you're new to our show, we sometimes do a segment that's called Yeah About That and what it really means, because someone once asked me, they they were new to the show and they're like, what was that thing you did in the end? And it's kind of, it, it comes from a meme, but it's kind of like when somebody says something like they think is confident and wise, and you're like, yeah, about that. <laughs> let me let <laughs> tell you why it isn't. Yeah. And so this week, I, I saw something interesting. It was a church's website, and this was supposedly not a liberal church. Uh, but I don't really know that much about it. I mean, it's not like a PCUSA or anything like that. And they had a male pastor. But it, I've seen this now a couple times. And I don't know if this is like a new practice. But their women's ministry coordinator, they actually called her pastor so-and-so. And I saw another, another one where it was the head of women's ministries that they called her minister something. And, okay, so first of all, love,
0: <laughs> first of all, yeah, about that. Yeah,
1: about that. Uh, I'm not actually personally really a great big fan of women's ministries, and, and I think they probably can be done well, but I've also often seen them not done well, where you have a woman who's in charge and has very little oversight from the pastor and elders, and that's not great. Uh and they're off kind of doing their own thing, almost like they're this other women's church over here. So, Angela, I'm going to put you on the spot. Is is there really any, do you think that there's ever appropriate time to call a woman a pastor?
0: I, I <laughs> yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> I, but, I, I don't care for that at all. And here's why. I believe... Um, the term pastor and minister um, is something very specific in the scripture. And, you know, a minister, that's a minister of word and sacrament. And in the traditions that we come from in Presbyterian and Reformed, those are ordained men. And um, so that is not, that is not a position or a title for women. And so I don't, I don't care for that at all. I do understand that there are some denominations or loose associations that aren't even a denomination where it's kind of tradition that a lady in charge of the women's group might be called women's minister, but I, I find that extremely inappropriate. I don't care for it at all. So, uh, I don't know. Is that how do you feel about it?
1: (laughs) one I am completely uncomfortable with it. Well first of all, I don't think that women should be having any ecclesiastical authority in the church. Right. And and I I'm not exactly sure the church government set up, but the I think it just would seem that there's some sort of ecclesiastical authority. You know, I think it in my recollection that any in all the Presbyterian churches that I've been in, when we have a women's Bible study, we don't just—we don't even just go pick out a book and do what we want, and the pastor and elders don't know about it. We—I uh, remember I was picking out a book for our women's Bible study a few years back, and I went and picked out a book. I bought a copy, and I gave it to the pastor, and the pastor and elders looked it over, and they actually had to offer their stamp of approval before we would even use it in our women's Bible study. So I wasn't even mm-hmm. exercising authority in in saying this is what we're going to do, but rather they were looking it over and and giving a yay or nay. I don't think I've ever gotten a no yet that I can recall. But we, we know from scripture that it is men, qualified men that are called to be pastors and elders and, and have ecclesiastical authority in the church, not, not women. And I think there are appropriate Bible studies. I I teach Bible study myself, but when it's done in the church, I think it all even then needs to be under the authority in some sense of the pastor and elders.
0: I completely agree with you on that. And I know that the um, ladies Bible study at my church it uh, does get reviewed and approved by the session, and uh, I don't know if there's anybody listening that goes, Whoa that's you know really official. Why does it need to be like you know what? Coming from a world where where it would be completely normal for women's ministry to be off in a corner by themselves doing whatever they want, I love and welcome the authority and approval of the elders at my church because, it just fills me with appreciation for their care and leadership of the women. It's a completely different dynamic than in a world where women's ministry is like, well, you guys get over there, you're ladies, you do your thing and we're church over here and we're not going to get in your business. You just go do your, it's just so different. And I really, I really love it and welcome it. And so, like I said, I just don't care for <laughs> a title of minister or pastor at all for a lady. Um, and I think that to uh, you know, what's related is it's okay for us to affirm and we do, we should joyfully affirm what our role is as ladies, um, you know, marriage in the home. Our role is submission, not headship. Headship is for the husband. Right, our, our role in the church is we're not ordained leaders in the church with ecclesiastical authority, administering the sacraments, those sorts of things. That's right. for that's that's for ordained men. That's yes. reserved, and we should joyfully affirm that. Right, and we've even talked about before in Presbyterian and Reformed
1: churches when a man is is made an elder, it's not. It's not just, well, you know, Bob over there, he, he's a good guy. I think we're going to nominate him for elder. Right. And that that's why we say qualified men. I mean, the, these men have been put in a position of authority over us. And I, I find comfort even knowing if I'm not the one teaching the Bible study, that if I do go to women's Bible study, that whatever book we're doing that the pastor and elders have looked it over and said, yes, we we think this is an appropriate and sound book for our ladies to do. I, I'm comforted mm-hmm. by that. And, you know, I, I know that we have women that are in churches that have been disappointed with uh, the Bible study materials. And I know I heard a story recently. It was not necess- their Their church didn't have the same practice that, that our churches have had where the pastor knows ahead of time, but the gal found some some obvious problematic things and and went to the pastor and and he stepped in. So it, it was encouraging to see that. But hopefully I, I really I really do hope that pastors are overseeing that. I mean obviously they're not at the women's Bible study, but they, there is still there's still some oversight
0: yeah it's probably a lot of our listeners are familiar with this book but um in case anyone is not um it's a couple years old now but there's a book called no little women by amy bird and it actually addresses a lot of what we just talked about about how um Women's Bible studies, and and she actually advocates not even calling it women's ministry because that diminishes the very special thing that is going on with the ministry of the yes, sacrament. I agree, and I agree with that so much. I I I think that's very insightful. So she she actually suggests that we call it women's initiatives. Anyway, she, her book talks about some of the dynamics that are going on in women's initiatives in the church right now in in evangelical world, and she definitely talks about how beneficial it can be to um, women's groups to have that direct oversight and involvement from the elders and the pastor, and why that is something good that we should welcome, and why it's something that that we hope that elders and pastors want to do.
1: You know, th- I think this might be a good opportunity to say you know whatever church that you're in i strongly encourage understanding the the ecclesiology yes and and how thing you know the doctrine of the church and and how the government plays out things like church discipline you know in the presbyterian churches we have the the book of church order which lays out even like how a discipline case ought to be handled and so I think it's I think it's important for us to under understand how our own church government plays out. I I think that will be about it for tonight. I appreciate you all joining us. Let me only add this that we are in the process of of planning our next several months of episodes. If there's a topic that you know, you've know, you been sitting at home thinking, I really hope that they'll talk about such and such. Please feel free to email us at thealgygals at gmail.com and give us that topic suggestion. I always I have a Google Doc that whenever someone messages me, I just got one last week. Can you guys please talk about this? Whenever someone messages me one of those ideas, I add it to the list. And so we, we want to talk about the things that our audience would like to hear about. So thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next week.